Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, I'm Nate Larkin. I'm here with Aaron Porter. My friend, Aaron, have you, uh, have you recovered from the big weekend <laughs> the of big, the virtual retreat? The, the big second weekend in the month of processing emotional <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, that's a lot of processing for one month. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, w- I was thrilled. We had a lot of guys attend the virtual retreat who were not able to attend the in-person retreat in EVA. That was really and, cool. I was happy yeah. about that. And fortunately, we were able to employ the capacities of Zoom in such a way that those guys could do some personal work and get together in sharing groups. And, uh, you know, from from all I saw, all I experienced and all I've heard, uh, it, it was a pretty damn good weekend. I was amazed at how great the technology worked out. I was able to have the speaker on one of my screens and then... 25 boxes of guys that I could scroll to the next 25 on another screen. Yeah. Which was really so cool. And then the breakouts that we I got to stay with the same four other guys for each of the right. breakout sessions. It was uh, it just worked out swimmingly. Way better than I thought it would. Well, I'm jealous that you have uh, figured out the two-screen solution. I, you know, I'm such a Neanderthal. I, I, uh, several of my friends who, you know, who work from home have got the they've they're doing the multiple screen thing, and I'm still toggling from one. You know, I've got everything on one one screen, going from one window to another, bouncing them around. Oh my gosh, I don't know how you do engineering reports with one screen. I mean, I have yeah. I have three screens in front of me right three? now. Three, yeah. And oh, and here's Lord. what's funny when when you were playing my talk from the Eva Tennessee thing, and I certainly did not want to hear myself. Uh-huh. So uh, I had it on on a side screen, but then I was looking at me in one screen with the sound off while I worked on a report in the middle screen, and then had 25 other guys who, because they were looking at their cameras, were looking at me from the right screen. <laughs> I, I started feeling really claustrophobic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Patrick Peters did a wonderful job of, you know, quarterbacking that thing from uh, from his home. He did a, you know, there was a lot of work that he did even before the weekend started. He was thinking way ahead to get that thing set up so it could work. And uh, and Mike Moore was on standby and handled, you know, uh, Q and A with the Q&A. speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, can can anybody go on Patreon? And and watch the sessions and the Eva stuff and the virtual yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't know how soon those are going to be uploaded to Patreon. You know, the uh, uh, but we do have you know a Samson Patreon site. All the presentations from the previous two retreats are already there. So there's already a fair amount of content that's on that site, and these are going to be added within the next. A couple of weeks, I think, if they're not already there. Okay, so anybody that wasn't able to make it or wants to hear it again, right, uh, can go there. And I don't know how it works. Maybe they can download it or stream it or both or pull the audio. Something. Yeah, like they can that. get the presentations, but they don't get the experience of sitting in a sharing room with other guys, you know, live to process what's going on. That's the only downside. So how did you find it was for you and your breakout time? Like, I mean, obviously you do a lot of virtual meetings. Yeah. But was it, uh, how was it different than being in a group at an in-person retreat? Oh, uh, you know, we had wonderful transparency. I, I I have this theory that in some ways it's even easier to be, uh, you know, daringly honest uh, in a virtual meeting than it is even to be, uh, maybe it feels a little bit safer that you've got this, the screen between you and the other people. Uh, well, I don't think that honesty or transparency suffered at all. Yeah. In some cases in virtual meetings or at the retreat, you're talking to guys who are all across the country. One of, yeah, one of my yeah. guys was from Canada 
Upper well, one right of my guys, one up. of my guys in my sharing group was in Manila. Really? Oh yeah. Wow, and that's I mean, that's where they make all the envelopes. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what was the time difference between Tennessee and Manila? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he was at you know, he said he you know, it started for him at like midnight. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a guy who was freaking committed. He's committed to recovery and so excited about what we're doing. That, Not you know, committed he, to sleep though. I'm I'm looking up time difference. I'm doing it with one hand though. Time difference <laughs> between you can keep talking. Yeah. Manila yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tennessee. All right. Let's check this out for this guy. Uh let's see. Right now. It is 2.57 a.m. All right, and 12.57 here, so 14 hours ahead of us. Wow, that is yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Did I tell you that in uh, one of my meetings uh, uh, last week, I think, we had a guy riding the subway. Did I tell you this? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, the meeting starts, and one guy is wearing a mask. And I can't figure this out. Why is he wearing a mask in the meeting? And then I look behind him. There's stuff flashing by. And I catch the size of the window. So I ask him, I say, are you on a subway? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm on a subway. I said, where? He said, Seoul, Korea. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he, he was there for the entire meeting. I mean, when he got, when he reached his stop, he got off. And so, you know, we could see him go through the, you know, through the station and then up out onto the street. And uh, participated in the meeting, so I told him. I said, "Man, th th this is the this is the craziest uh, participant in a, in a virtual meeting since the guy who was in my meeting walking around the streets of Jerusalem." Oh my gosh, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. But we did have a police officer who was on duty. I'm not going to say his name in case he shouldn't have been on yeah. duty and do it. But uh, he he did go to a a. a burglary call during one of his small group sharing times so <laughs> well uh, so it was it, it was awesome. a one, yeah it was a wonderful experience and i just i just loved what all of the speakers brought john lynch just delivered the gospel and just such engaging you know simple wonderful powerful terms and occasionally scottish terms that's right. Yes, grace. Yeah, he had yeah. <laughs> uh, KK was wonderful as usual, and I loved the way so many guys engaged with her in her session on trauma and uh, recovery. Uh, I got to. There was. Let me see. I was so thrilled to be able to sit in on Friday night. On that, it was a great recording. I got to hear Andy Gullihorn's concert, and then also got to sit in on the recording, of the workshop he'd done in Eva, Tennessee, on the spiritual discipline of the high five. Such a wonderful, such a wonderful story, and such a wonderful principle. And uh, and then, of course, man, you tore it up as you always do. You did a great job um, with your workshop on the perfect father. So. It was yeah. it was really fun to see Andy do his stuff as he's been such a part of Samson for so long, but never been a part of these retreats. Right. Yeah. Um, even though we've used his music at at retreats from way back to the beginning. Yeah. So that was I, I just felt like that was a good full circle special thing. Well, I wonder how many of our listeners we are boring to death because they didn't get to go to the retreat. It's kind well, of like I'm, special I'm hoping, service. Yeah, huh? I, I'm hoping it's getting them excited to go to Patreon and be like, I need to check this out because even Andy's concert will be uh, semi-trimmed uh, yeah. for public, but uh, it's going to be mostly there. So, I mean, yeah. this is this is why you should go on to Patreon. And I think uh, it's like two bucks a month to get everything your heart desires. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So this week you did the interview alone because I felt guilty that I did one by myself. I needed to <laughs> even the, the scales of justice. <laughs> um. Oh, and uh, what, what wonderful guests. Um, 
I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to their story, but it's it's just a beautiful redemptive story. They bring you know honesty and transparency and humility and empathy and a love and a care for other people. I love that we have husband and wife in the conversation. Listeners, uh, do yourself a favor. Uh, set anything aside that might distract you from what's going on next so that you can pay close attention. You're going to love this conversation. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and I'm really pleased to have on the show this week a fellow who I recently learned about. Turns out he doesn't live all that uh, very far away from me. He's in on the western side of Nashville, and he is a certified recovery coach. His name is Chad Anderson, and Chad's here with his wife, Angela. Chad and, Anderson, uh, Chad and uh, Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Nate. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and I just love that the two of you are in the same room, uh, but you're not alone in the house. I understand there are, are you, there are some other people who live in that house. Yes, there are. We have seven kids from uh, nineteen down to five year old twins. So, wow, <laughs> amazing. Um, and I and I love the fact that you guys are together in the same room. That tells me that there aren't secrets between you. You have made it a good distance down the road of recovery. Your marriage has survived. There are things you can talk about. And now you're about the business of helping other people. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I, Chad, I wonder if, well, let me, let me not exclude Angela either. Angela, chime in at any point, All whether right. you need to expand upon or correct anything that your husband might say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, here's what I know. Nobody gets into this work of um, helping addicts, especially sex addicts in recovery, just out of some, you know, random interest. Right. There's always a story, right? It's our own right. woundedness that brings us to the point of healing and then becoming healers. Uh I wonder if you could kind of tell us how you got here, Chad. Well, I started early uh, working on my addiction. Um, I will say uh, sexual addiction was not on my bucket list. It was not on my plans and uh, it was not <laughs> on, uh, it was not a career of choice uh, to, to go into. But yeah, I grew up um, in a very religious household church going mm -hmm. household. Um, you know, dad was an elder, mom was the church lady. And yeah. we wore masks at church way before COVID ever started. Um, <laughs> you know, those, those masks were perfection or look good, have no problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, just be fine, you know? So yeah. I grew up, my brother was six years older than me. And when he was in his mid-teen years, 14, 15, 16 years old, my parents found some pornography in his room. And um, after that discovery, I got really curious about what pornography was. We didn't talk about it. We just knew there was a big, I just knew there was a big amount of chaos that was uh, ensued after yeah. it was found. So I got really curious and started looking for it. And of course, what they found was just a little bit of the stash. And so I discovered the rest of it. And from about the age of 10 years old on, as I lived in that house through I was really till I was 20, but definitely through my teen years, uh, pornography just became just part of my life. Um, mm. You know, it was almost a daily practice at some point. Um, but I was very religious, religious. And we were also, we had a great youth group, um, and, a, and really a decent church growing up, but 
being a part of that youth group, I had these convictions where I would go, oh man, uh, I've got to stop this stuff. Uh, you yeah. know, and I would stop, but I always wanted it to be an internal job. Uh, right. Nobody could ever know. And we certainly couldn't uh, talk about it at church. So, you know, I went through my teenage years just going in and out of pornography. I met Angela actually uh, came to the church we were at in sixth grade. So we met very early and um, wow, really? Okay. Yeah. So we grew up in the same youth group. She was two years younger than me. Um, so we were great friends. And along the way, we started dating a little bit and then the friendship got awkward. So we stopped. Uh, and then a few uh, years or so later, I guess, we started dating again. And this time we knew we were pretty serious. You know, we were, we had talked about marriage pretty early on and just, uh, we were in love. Um, the best I knew how to be in love. Um, yeah. You know, and the pornography just continued on through that. And of course, I never told her about it. I don't think she ever really uh, suspected anything. No, no, certainly not. And, you know, this mm. is back, so I'm 45 years old. This is back when magazines is all we had, and, and they were all my yeah. brother's stuff. Um, so as we grew up and as we dated uh, longer and longer, um, I just I had this totally hidden world. And uh, we got married pretty young. Uh, I was 21, and she was 19 at the time. And yeah. we were both uh, just as broken as could be, and we came together and tried to form a marriage and it was mm-hmm. uh, it was rough in the beginning. You know, we didn't have any kind of skills. Both of us had really lived at home our whole lives until we got married. Uh, so trying to make that transition into marriage and moving out on our own and all that was uh, just difficult. Um, I learned very early on to stuff emotion, and pornography was definitely a way that I dealt with the highs and lows of life. And sure. so, you know, I was a really just a full-fledged addict uh, by the time we got married. But, of course, she knew nothing about that. But, right. you know, of course, I wasn't coming into the marriage um, perfect either. Had my own set of um, faults and character flaws as well as just um, trauma that, that I didn't know how to deal with and overcome mm. either. You know, my own sexual brokenness as well coming into the marriage. Yes. So we got married. I had started a landscaping business when I was 18, really just (laughs) as a ways to make enough money to get married. And so I was working very hard. We were working two jobs when we first got married and she was working nights and we were, we were kind of meeting in the middle. Um, And, you know, as those years progressed uh, and high speed internet came into the picture, that's when my addiction really started to grow. Um, and the as we moved through our marriage, you know, when I was able to move my office out of the house, um, I kind of yeah. had this, you know, I heard you say one time there was a Saint Nate and there's the attic mm-hmm. Nate. And that's the way mm-hmm. I was. It was it was as if the door closing in the morning, walking out the front door was a signal to, OK, attic Chad can start now. Tried to be as good and Christian and and as perfect as possible at home. And then when I, I left, um, pornography and just different forms of acting out started. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would just try to control it. Um, when my first daughter was born, I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to stop, you know, stop looking at those things. And that, you know, things would work for six to nine months. You know, I just kept trying to make it an internal process. Um, so kind of fast forward, um, probably to my mid thirties where my wife just began to ask, you know, what's going on. It's like, you cannot connect emotionally. Uh, she would talk about this great relationship she had with God. And I was just like, I've got nothing, you know, even though we were very active in church, very active in Bible studies and things like that. I, Mm -hmm. I had I had a ton of head knowledge of God, but I had no heart knowledge at all. Um, so about 35, I thought, you know, the business is what's really causing all these problems. It's taking my mind away and 
so I sold the business and I, and I was going to go do something different. And that, that whole new endeavor fell through. And so I restarted the business. And when I restarted the business, I started with a large job out of town. And so I was traveling, I was leaving the house on Sunday and coming back Friday evening. And so I was working out of town all alone. I knew I didn't want to go back into the landscaping business. My wife didn't want me to go back in the landscaping business. And it was like throwing gasoline onto the fire of addiction. You know, I was alone in a hotel room, you know, more days of the week than not. And, uh, Boy, it just got crazier and crazier. And in the words of, you know, Anne Lamont, by the end, I was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. Um, (laughs) But I still didn't, you know, I still, it was almost like I had such a split personality. I still just couldn't be honest. Um, And it wasn't until, um, it was about a month after my 40th birthday, we had just had twins. They were about three months old, I guess. And five, five months old. I don't know. We lost a lot of sleep in those first <laughs> little bit of twins. But, um, <laughs> you know, my wife just kept asking questions one night and I was so tired. I just, you know, I rolled over and went to sleep and she wasn't going to take no for an answer. So she picked up my phone and started going through it and found some things and woke me up at one o'clock in the morning of, uh, July 26th of uh, 2015 and said, morning you know, the 27th, morning of the 27th. Yeah. Yes. Early in the morning. That's where the, the name 727 came from, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but she said, you know, I've got some things to ask you. And, you know, I still tried to just kind of cover it up, lie my way through it and go back to sleep. And she's like, no, not tonight. Um, yeah. And so she just started asking questions and showing me things on my phone and, and this, the disassociation was so strong. I was like, is that my phone? You know, it's, it's just, yeah. like I was just a, just a different person at home than away. And so, so anyway, uh, she said, you know, I want to know everything. And I thought, well, okay. Um, you know, and the truth was the last six to eight months leading up to that, I was suicidal just thinking about, you know, it was just, I couldn't quit. And I didn't know what yeah. to do. Um, probably my kids are what, and my wife too, my family is what kept me, you know, alive during those times. But so, you know, we did a full disclosure in the wee hours of the morning of um, that morning. And she said, okay, you need to pick up your phone and call our pastor. You tell him you're coming tomorrow morning and tell him everything. This is on a Sunday night. So I called and he didn't answer. And I said, great, he didn't answer. She said, just keep calling. Uh, cause she said, you know, we can't, we can't work on this by ourselves. We have to let other people mm. in. And so mm-hmm. about three o'clock in the morning and hysterics, I told my pastor, I'm coming tomorrow to tell him everything. And, uh, so that's where it all began. That's where my journey of recovery began. Um, and that's the first night I really knew the love of God. Um, after Telling all of those things, I went downstairs to go to the bathroom and closed the door, and the door kind of opened back up and closed it again. It kind of opened up again, and I looked out there. My wife was sitting on the floor, and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm afraid you're going to go in there and hurt yourself, and wow, this is just beginning. We're not ending here, and um, so from early on, um, I, I won't tell her side of the story, but I think she understood what this was. Um, and would say, you know, she didn't feel crazy anymore. And this was something that we could actually work on. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, uh, went and told my pastor everything. And, and I told my wife, I said, I'll go tell him, but I've been in church long enough. This is where we end our relationship with the church. You know, we're going to have to move to different churches because it's just the way things go. And boy, he was, uh, they were both so supportive and, you know, I told it was like I did a first step right there in front of them. And um, yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought, boy, I'll never face them again. But they were so supportive and so loving. And then I went to my first SA meeting just mm-hmm. a couple hours later over there in uh, Belmont Church. So um, that began sacred my journey. beige portable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that began my journey of recovery. I saw a, a guy in the SA meeting that I'd been in 
church with before and is a kind of a welcoming face. And, um, I started going to meetings as much as I could go and got a sponsor and started working steps and got a, uh, a great CSAT therapist and started working really hard with him. So we, um, we were both in therapy for a couple of years there, mm-hmm. both just kind of gutting it out. You know, it's, yeah. you go from 10 years old, from 10 to 40, almost stuffing all the emotions, boy, they really come out sideways, uh, when yeah. you start to let them out. And I will say for me, the emotional sobriety was as hard or harder than the physical sobriety part. Yeah. Um, and that is what's really kind of, so early on my wife had prayed, you know, uh, God, we want healing for ourselves and our family, but if there's somewhere down the road that we can help some other people out, there's some way we can do that. Mm-hmm. We would love to do that. And so we spent a, a lot of, you know, three good years working really hard on ourselves. And then we began to look around at what's next and actually met David pretty early on and then started the recovery coaching program about two years ago. Um, and then we launched the business. Uh, really of a soft launch last July 27th and uh, made a, so we grew up in the church and we saw a lot of people burned by the church and um, we made a really, um, we made a concerted effort and we felt led by God to just help people in the church. Yeah. Um, So we started reaching out to churches about February of last year started it or this year and became a nonprofit as well. And thought this is the route we're going right as COVID came and shut everything down. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's been a challenge for sure. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of been my story up till now. And, you know, let Angela chime in on any part of that she wants to share and, and kind of go from there. Yeah. Angela, I wonder if you can take us back to, uh, July 26 and 27, 2015, and uh, where you were kind of mentally and emotionally, what was that like for you? Well, I think, you know, before the discovery of confirming evidence, I I really felt um, crazy. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. there's not, there's not much better word for it because I just couldn't figure out what was going on, where the disconnect was, why, um, you know, why I, I couldn't get clear answers from Chad, why he kept telling me he, he wasn't hearing from God. He didn't know you know, what was wrong. He was just really depressed or, you know, honestly, I I kept trying to figure out like, is, is he drinking? Is, is something else going on looking for evidence of what must be going on? Because I just, I couldn't figure out. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know, maybe this is, maybe this is just as good as it gets. Maybe this is just the way our marriage is going to be just very little, connection. It doesn't seem like, you know, there's, there's any way for him to really share what's going on or for him to even know what's going on. I don't know. I just, I couldn't figure it out. And, um, you know, I had walked my own journey and path that, um, many failures in my own walk with God that, that I felt Mm -hmm. shame over as well. But, um, what I, what I found myself doing was becoming just more and more addicted to a safe God that I had learned um, to confide in. And so I became really intimate with God and um, he really taught me to just keep looking at myself. What am I doing? What can I change? Um, And really kind of walked me on a path of recovery that I had no idea that's what I was doing. 
Um, mm. but just kind of taught me how to just keep looking at how can I love him? Well, how can I love Chad? Well, when I don't have a clue what's going on and how can I take care of the kids that we have the best that I can? And, um, but man, I was really just about at the end of my rope, just kind of ready to be like, you know what? I, I'm kind of hopeless. I, yeah, I, I was starting to disconnect, not just from Chad, but even from the kids emotionally, um, because yeah. the d- disconnect between Chad and I was becoming so great and just so long that I, I had become numb and my life was just kind of survival mode, really, um, especially yeah. once um, the twins came along, everything became survival mode because I, f- I was very much alone trying to take care of the five other kids and, um, and then newborn twins as well, even though it it did force Chad somewhat to become more involved because I just couldn't do two babies by myself. Um, Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I think numb and just crazy is, and hopeless is kind of what I was feeling. Um, but you know, I felt like God just kind of kept pointing me to, um, to keep investigating or, you know, I don't know, my own curiosity. I, I don't know what it was, but um, I just kept trying to listen to God and figure out like, what could this be? And so when I, when I was getting answers that, that I felt like weren't clear from Chad or just weren't straight answers, I just kind of started doing a little more looking on my own. And, you know, like he said, found some things on his phone that let me know okay, I, I'm not crazy. There really is something else going on here. And then I just felt overwhelmingly angry, I think is probably the, the greatest emotion. Um, very betrayed and lied to, of course. Um, and I, I just felt sick. Didn't, didn't understand why or how or what was going on or how we were going to make it. Um, my head was just spinning, I think, with, um, you know, really with not a revelation, but with my world kind of crumbling around me is what it felt like. Yeah. And um, just wasn't sure how I was going to be able to take the next breath, um, much less get up the next day and take care of kids and try to function as if things were normal. Um, but I think that, um, you know, God had really been working on my heart the past few years before that and, um, had been very gentle and loving with me and quickly reminded me of, um, a prayer that I had been praying for a long time just to make me a gentle, quiet spirit, um, because that did not come in my nature, I felt like. And <laughs> and so he had been slowly over time answering that prayer to where I felt like I could turn to Chad and have compassion for him that, that God had had for me. Um, yeah. You know, like he said, I was concerned that he was going to harm himself in some way or um, just try to take his own life. And, you know, for me, when I found all this out, it was devastating. But at the same time, I was like, well, now I can finally have some hope. It's like God kind of broke through the clouds and shined a light on things so that there actually was a ray of hope now. Um, Mm. I knew that something was going on, and this was something that I felt like, hey, we we can work with this. We can work together. We can take this to God, and He can work through this with us. And, you know, I, um, I don't know. I think just He had also given us experiences and um, knowledge over the the years before that of a thing called sex addiction. And um, somewhere in my brain had been stored this idea that sex addiction really has nothing to do with sex, that it's an intimacy disorder. And um, 
God just really kind of recalled that information in my mind. And uh, it just really brought a, a level of compassion that I knew there that his his behavior, his actions, his attitude was coming from some um, some wounding, some deep trauma and wounding that he dealt with uh, early on in his life. And, you know, I, I couldn't make sense of all of it, but um, it was like God was just uh, bringing hope into my life and into our marriage, into the situation. Um, so really, I, I feel very... I feel like very early on, just that night and the next morning, God um, was very faithful to speak hope and to just shine his light. Oh, I, I, I love this so much. I do think that, you know, one of the greatest gifts that recovery gives us is the gift of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love the fact that uh, already had been kind of imparted to you and planted in your brain. Uh, first of all, the reality of sex addiction, the knowledge that sex addiction isn't about sex, and yeah. at least the beginning of hope that once the problem was identified, there actually is a route to healing. Right. The other thing I, I love was hearing you say that you were angry. Oh, for sure. And the fact that you were angry, I mean, furious and felt betrayed, and it was it was heart sick and it was uh at times overwhelming at the same time um that didn't mean that you didn't love chad right right absolutely uh yeah uh i i do sometimes you know well-meaning christian ladies somehow gotten the idea that um if they're going to be a christian wife then they have to forgive immediately mm-hmm. and un- and be so understanding that they don't get angry. You were angry and empathetic. Yeah. I think a lot of the anger came because I did love and care for him so much, mm-hmm. you know, that um, that's why it was so painful. And that's why yeah. it made me so angry. Mm. I love, too, that you guys had a foundation in friendship, that you've known each other for so long. I know uh, when people ask my wife how she was able to stick around, and man, we had some rocky years early in recovery. I slept in a closet for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But how she was after my just, you know, off the charts infidelity and all the lying and hiding and duplicity and betrayal, how she was ever able to stay engaged with me at all. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, we we were friends. We had been friends. Yes. And she was able to see, she didn't, yeah. Wow. So you guys then, I guess, kind of embarked on parallel journeys without getting too much into each other's business. I, 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 don't, I don't hear that you were trying to run Chad's recovery, Angela. Well, I was definitely told not to, <laughs> but um, <laughs> honestly, I I was at a point where there was no way that I had the time or capacity to do anything like that, and I think yeah. that was quite a gift from God, really. That um, you know, I, <laughs> there yeah, was those kids take over. there right. There was no way that I was going to be able to manage that as well, and so I I. I don't know that I even attempted. I'm sure there were times that I did, you know, but um, for the most part, I was just trying to take care of myself and the kids that um, we had been blessed with. Uh, Can you talk to me about kind of the the payoff and the growth of intimacy? How have you seen, how have you seen um, your intimate connection, your non-sexual intimate connection change over the course of recovery? Yeah, I mean, I think from my point of view, um, I've told Chad before and um, other people as well that it it is really hard work, um, recovery, and just learning Mm -hmm. how to be honest and learning how to be vulnerable with each other uh, after you've been hurt and after you um, have walked so long, you know, just not 
connected. But um, the reward is that I, I finally got to walk in a partnership in a relationship that I had always wanted. You know, it wow. was finally discovering the intimacy, the connection of friendship that, um, that didn't have any walls in between that, that wasn't hiding and, and it felt real. It felt very different than, um, what we had had before. And yeah, I mean, the best way I can describe it is like this gift that I had always longed for, um, in a ma- in our marriage, you know, this partnership mm. and friendship and closeness that um, that I really had pretty much given up on, but yeah. um, God redeemed and gave us through the gift of recovery. I, I heard Chad say that uh, he found himself during those dark years of uh, active addiction that he and very familiar to me, kind of toggling between a couple of identities, mm-hmm. working hard at being Christian husband and father at home, and being uh, you know re- really doing our very best to do that. But then as soon as you leave the house, you flip into the other identity. Um, how would, how, I think when I'm looking back on it now, that I was really kind of fooling myself into how much of a husband and a father I was, given the fact that I was emotionally disconnected during the years when I was trying so hard. Have you seen kind of a qualitative change in uh, in the way Chad is as, let's say, dad to the kids. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you know, I remember those, the past, the two or three years before uh, recovery, I really found myself making a lot of excuses for, you know, mm-hmm. why daddy wasn't home or why dad couldn't be involved in this or that dad was sick, he wasn't feeling well, you know, and all these things that honestly I had told myself I, I would never do just make excuses yeah. for why dad wasn't whatever it was they were needing him to be or wanting him to be. But I found myself doing that. And, um, you know, the difference has been just night and day, really. Um, not that he's perfect or I'm perfect by any means as we try to connect with our kids now but there's a real desire that I see in him. Um, it's not, it's not like I'm just going to try to go through the motions and ask how they are and not really even pay attention or listen. He is engaging in conversation. Um, he's initiating conversations and just time with them. You know, I can tell, um, and I, I know they can as well that, that he's truly, interested, that he really cares. Um, And so instead of just pushing them to the side or acting like he's too busy or he's distracted or he he doesn't feel good or he's got a headache or there's just, he's so busy, he can pause and recognize like, oh, hey, I'm I'm sorry. I was distracted, but let me put that away because I want to be involved with you. I want to hear what you have to say. And so, you know, there's been lots of apologies, which I never would have seen pre-recovery. Um, uh-huh. And there's yeah. there's a lot more serious conversations, whereas pre-recovery, everything was a joke and everything was just trying to, well, let's just laugh and keep it surfacy. And um, it's not like that mm-hmm. anymore. We can go deep mm-hmm. and um, we can be real. That's beautiful. I think that's one of the, the big... <clears throat> The big thing that I want to work with other people on and, and that I do work with other people on and it you know, it has to be your own recovery. You have to do it for yourself. I found that out yep. really early. Um but it we had uh this great couple that kind of mentored us along for a few years. And the way recovery changed their family, mm-hmm. I looked at it and I was like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. You know, and so getting past just the sobriety part of it and into recovery and, um, you know, let's face it, the oldest one saw a side of me for many years that was disconnected. I could sit in a room full of people and be totally disconnected, not looking at anything inappropriate or anything like that. I just, 
I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that I could not connect with anybody else on, on a deep level at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that's changed the most, I feel like in our family relationships. And I don't see that, um, happening in a lot of couples or a lot of, or, or people in recovery. I feel like we kind of get to this point of, well, he stopped doing the thing. Um, but now we're just sort of cohabitating together. And, um, man, that's the gift of recovery to me is, is the way that as a family, uh, we have been able to, you know, to talk and discuss things and, 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 uh, you know, have conversations that yeah. I would have never had growing up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Know how to do yeah. It. And as your kids become older and it becomes appropriate to do so, you can, you've, you've got the ammunition and the experience now to go deep and open doors that, you know, your parents probably would never dare to open conversationally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is so important in an increasingly dangerous world, a highly sexualized culture mm-hmm. where there is, uh, you know, just new temptation, new avenues toward devastation that seem to be opening all yeah. the time. Uh, this COVID pandemic has certainly uh, not done addicts any favors. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, has isolated us a whole lot more. Um, what are you seeing in the people that you're talking to? Do you see an effect of COVID and the pandemic, a kind of, a, a a complicating or multiplying effect on addiction or is it, is it making Absolutely, it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I tell everybody it's like, it's a perfect you know, I'm a landscaper background, so it's a perfect fertile soil to grow a very deep roots in addiction. You have fear. I mean, you can't turn on the TV or look at the news without being in fear over everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fear of financial insecurities, all the, you know, everything. And then you have isolation. Um, and yeah. then I think the one thing that we're, you know, we begin to see it in school kids, but it's not being recognized as much in adults is the idea that we're all looking at screens 24 yeah. seven, um, yeah. you know, and, and now, you know, for, for the typical person who would spend eight hours going to work where their screen is a little more controlled and all <laughs> they're sitting at home with a wide open palette again. Um, yeah. and so this interaction, uh, it's just normalizing more and more. It's really normalizing a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's that's where I see. I, you know, I've told people several times lately here. Just it has all the makings of addiction, and I've walked with some guys who are just getting into recovery, and I, I've told them I can't imagine how difficult it is. Because mm-hmm. when I was into, re- you know, when I was coming into recovery, one of the things that was very appealing about SA in Nashville is there's probably fifty meetings a week. You know, just that portable alone, there's three meetings a day in person. And there's just something about sitting in a room, telling the truth about yourself and nobody gets up and runs out. Uh, As a matter of fact, people smile and nod because they understand they're there. They've been there too. That that just doesn't translate the same over a Zoom or something like that. Yeah. Um, Of course, I am grateful for the technology like you guys adopted technology a couple of years ago. And I think that was a wise move. Mm-hmm. Nobody saw this coming, but you already had yeah. the platform and a little bit of fam- familiarity going into it. Um, but I tell people um, phone calls are super important right now. Yep. Uh, and just any kind of connections you can have. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, uh, it has all the makings. I, I don't think we'll see the long-term emotional effects from covid for i mean i think they'll they'll drag out for the next couple of years here yeah i agree well are you are you seeing clients in person still? yes I, i'm seeing clients in person uh there was um there's definitely a couple of weeks or a couple of months there in the very beginning where everything was shut down that we shut down more and we did zoom calls um kind of my fear is as you know, COVID will go away at some point, but 
that we'll all become so complacent with this video platform. Yeah. And it is, yeah. it, you know, we have to get in rooms and, and in front of people. But I am seeing people in person. We're doing some Zoom things. Uh, we're doing some small groups, very small. And, you know, we're just we're laying out some parameters and saying, this is what we're doing. If you're comfortable, please come. If you're not, I understand. Yeah. Um, so that's been good. Um, so um, you are seeing some clients remotely. So if there's a listener who who lives, uh, you know, a few states or a few uh, national borders and maybe a continent or two away and can make it work, you can work with people who aren't in Nashville. Absolutely, and that's the beauty of recovery or of COVID. Uh, you yeah. know, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, let's look at what can be done instead of what can't be done. Uh, but getting into this, it you know, even a year ago, I never dreamed that you would be seeing, you know, that the borders could go outside of, you know, an hour drive of Middle yeah. Tennessee. Uh, but yeah. it has opened that up. And in a way, I think people coming in, especially those first few meetings, I remember the first few meetings with our therapist, I was just scared to death. And so maybe the screen has a little bit of a buffer there. Um, yeah. So I, but I, I encourage anybody. Um, I do think the other thing that it's uh, the other effect that it's having on, um, as far as addictions go, is we're we are locked into a home with our spouses that we normally, you know, normally people would be gone for eight to ten hours a day and come back mm-hmm. and see each other, and now. Uh, I heard a, I read a statistic the other day. Marriages, uh, divorces were up thirty four percent year to date versus wow. last year year to date, and I think that's just coming from you know this. Uh, if if you don't have the tools going in, it, it's I, I I can't imagine being in active addiction and then also COVID hitting. Uh, yeah. I don't know what would have happened to me. Um, now it's a cage it, match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but using our tools of recovery, you know, it's, there's still difficulties, right? But mm-hmm. the tools are there to help you to work through things and to, uh, you know, a lot of men's have been made and that sort of thing. But uh, that is, that's relationship. That's real intimacy. So, yeah. You know, I think um, one of the things that, that COVID um, and all of this, you know, pressure cooker situation that, that we're talking about can bring about, though, is that um, people's addictions are probably going to be forced into the light a little yeah. um, more quickly or it's going to the light is going to shine more easily because um, it's hiding is very difficult right. um, in this type of situation. And so that although it doesn't feel like a blessing when you're in the yeah. middle of the situation, it really is, you know, when, um, yeah. when the light can be shined on it and things revealed and the truth be exposed, um, like we talked about at the beginning, that's when real hope can come. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely seeing that, you know, we run virtual newcomer meetings every day at Samson Society and mm-hmm. I do, I do the Saturday meeting and, uh, yeah, over and over again, I see guys who, you know, thank God. They, right. you know, yeah. they finally hit the wall. They finally got caught, but they, right. but they might not have gotten caught uh, if their game wasn't uh, so constrained by COVID. Right. So, yeah. That's <laughs> well, we have a fair number of uh, female listeners to the podcast. Angela, I have to ask if a woman listening mm-hmm. has uh, identified with some of your story. Are you open to uh, corresponding with or communicating with any of our female yes. listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to be able to just listen and, you know, share my own journey. Wonderful. Wonderful. What's, uh, what uh, are the ways that our listeners can get in touch with you guys? Yeah. So um, probably the best way is by email for Angela and we'll send you her email. Um, Okay. And for me, uh, we have a website, 727 integratedlife.com. I'm sure you can put it in the show notes, but uh, we have a, a kind of a smaller version of our story on there and some ways that we work with people. And then there's, of course, a contact form on there and my phone number is on there. So um, I, I just encourage anybody if, if this is 
ringing a bell in your own story, just to pick up the phone and call. Um, and uh, in case somebody is out running, they can't get to the show notes, what's the phone number? Can you tell them the phone yeah, number? Yeah, so my phone number is 615-405-6152. Fantastic. Well, Chad and Angela, it has been uh, such a delight to talk to you. Thank you for your transparency, your vulnerability. Um, I'm so thrilled to have you in the field to know that you are another resource because sometimes I get the feeling as though, um, uh, you know, not only are the fields white under harvest, but there's just more work than, than we can possibly get done. So Absolutely. it's good to know that you're here. Yeah, All right, you, listeners, Thank you. stick with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Good job, as ever. Well done leading that conversation. So, so <laughs> hey, I gonna, just hung on for the ride. You know, I, yeah, just ask a couple of questions and let people tell their story. So, uh, yeah. So we are one day out from Thanksgiving. What are your uh, COVID Thanksgiving plans? What are you doing? Well, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's tragic. We always have a big uh, family Thanksgiving, and this year we're doing it virtually. So setting so, up some computers with Zoom going? Yeah, we are. And we're going to play party games online with the kids and the grandkids. Wait, what, what kind of party games can you do online? Like picture? Oh, there's a bunch. If you just do free online games, there's one that we do called, I think it's Scribble or something like that. So it's, it's sort of like, uh, oh gosh, I, I don't know. Yeah. You're supposed to uh, draw, you know, you get, you get, you get a phrase or a word and you're supposed to draw something that other people guess what it is and whoever comes closer. Then all of you are doing it on your own screen. Uh, but it shows up live. It's fun. So, okay. So people should just check out, just Google online, free online games. Free online party games. And I think this one's called Scribbly or something. Uh, yeah. I, I see Scribble, S-K-R-I-B-B-L dot that's I-O. It. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. That's the one. We like that okay. one. You can also play. We want to involve the kids, but you could also play Cards Against Humanity for nothing. So... Um, and we're not doing a a turkey this year. I wonder whether there's going to be a glut of turkeys in the supermarkets. How many people are not going to do the big turkey because they can't get everybody together? Um, but a good friend of mine, uh, has a, has a smoker, a big smoker. Uh, Elliot Wood is a master smoker and, uh, he's doing briskets. Wow. I'm picking up a brisket tomorrow morning. Okay. So we're doing kind of a, a Texas Thanksgiving. What so, are you doing? Well, we haven't done turkey in our house for a long time because none of us really likes turkey. Um, <laughs> so we just kept going, why do, we, why do we keep cooking something that's not our favorite thing? Yeah. Uh, I think we all like cold turkey sandwiches like the next month. But uh, yeah. So I've, I've always just barbecued and made a ton of food. And tomorrow yeah. there's probably only going to be four of us in the house. So I yeah. just had everybody list what their favorite stuff was and got the ingredients and everyone's going to cook together uh, really? their favorite stuff. So I think we're having some Filipino pork adobo, some Louisiana mac and cheese, scotch eggs. I mean, it's, wow. it's going to be quite the international uh, holiday for being a very American holiday. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna fry. I'm, I'm gonna fire up the deep fryer too, and I'm gonna do some beignets, and then I don't know, maybe experiment with some other stuff. Yeah. Do you remember when deep fried Twinkies were a thing? Did you ever I, do those? Yeah, I'd never done them. I've never even eaten one. 
Oh, really? Yeah. It, it wasn't until I moved here that I had my first deep fried Oreo over at Jack uh-huh. Brown's. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're going to deep fry some of that? <laughs> yeah, I, we'll just deep fry some. But it's only Allie and me. So, you know, yeah. And then two dogs, you know, a dog and a cat. That's about it. Can you give the dog and the cat the deep fried Twinkies? Is the that- dog will eat them, I think. I think the dog will eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, now we're definitely boring people with our Thanksgiving plans. But I, uh, listeners, let us know how how you are being creative right into us. Tell us what you did, because it'll be after the fact, yeah. uh, for your creative Thanksgivings. Also, write us with questions, thoughts, comments. We appreciate a handful of our friends that send us ideas for guests that they would like for us to try to rope into these conversations. So do that, and you can contact us at... At PirateMonkPodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, I guess that does it for Thanksgiving week. We do have more guests coming up right up until Christmas. So uh, as long as you and I can still get together, Aaron, and uh, thanks to the hard work that Sean Parks is doing, stepping up to help in, uh, in editing these episodes, we should still be able to deliver content through the end of the year. Until next time, then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.